we're going to close with this lesson, the final lesson of our introductory session. The first day, I talked about how you, you have to have an intersection between morality and spirituality, that, that too often people separate them, and we're going to see why they're separated or had they have been separated later. later. We're going to see the origins of it, about how morality became rule and precept-based, and spirituality was sort of separate category called the interior life. So your moral life was your exterior life, your, in, your spiritual life was your interior life, and they were separate. But the authentic Catholic approach is going to be more integral. The two cannot be separated in such a manner. You can separate, you could study them in separate ways, and yeah, it is your interior life. But they're, they're, the moral life is part and parcel of the larger, more overarching spiritual life. And as traditionally we'll say, our moral life should flow from our spiritual life. What's the little catchy phrase that we use for that? Our action flows from our contemplation. Action flows from contemplation. The love of God, our prayer should lead an expression into love of people. Once again, the connection of the twofold command. But... We've got to be contemplating first. We, if our action is going to flow from contemplation, we've got to be praying. We've got to be contemplating. So what is contemplation? Contemplum, with the temple, the, the, the place where the auguries are read, the, the observatory. And so uh, contemplation is observing. It's seeing. Once again, sight comes in. So we contemplate beauty. We contemplate a truth. We contemplate a work of art using our reason. But if you ever looked at like a sunset, yeah, your reason is engaged, but you're just sort of taking it all in as a whole. You're contemplating beauty. So there's obviously then a connection to beatitude, the beatific vision. This is the ultimate contemplation in heaven. Catechism 1028. Because of his transcendence, God cannot be seen as he is unless he himself opens up his mystery to man's immediate contemplation and gives him the capacity for it. The church calls this contemplation of God and his heavenly glory the beatific vision. Again, seeing or contemplating God. And certainly because of that, if man's ultimate end is beatitude, there's going to be that connection to the moral life, our action flowing from our contemplation. Now, from a Thomistic perspective, if you go to the Summa, you can look at the, the second part of the second part, Questions 180 to 182, he talks about contemplation, which is this simple intuition or a simple gaze of the truth. It's more intellectual rather than focused on the will. In fact, for him, the contemplative life is more academic. You're, you're, doing, you're studying the sacra doctrina, a life of the mind, a life of consecrated study. But in spirituality... And Teresa of Avila will take that definition and kind of add love to it. It becomes the highest form of prayer. Vocal prayer, meditation, contemplation. Contemplation is that infused prayer where the Lord sort of prays in and through us after purifying our faculties. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church has that whole section on it in the prayer section. 2713, paragraph 2713. Contemplative prayer is the simplest expression of the mystery of prayer. It's a gift, a grace. And, and they go on to explain that it's the, 
the simplest, it's a, is it maybe 2713 or 2724? I forget which one it is. It's a gaze of faith fixed on Jesus and attentiveness to the word. It's that gaze of love. I'm going to go back and see which paragraph that was. I think I might have gotten that wrong. The, 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 the peasant and the curé of ours. He looks at me and I look at him. It's either 2713 or 2724. It's quiet, attentive, the prayer of the heart often experienced in dryness and darkness. As you draw closer to the light, you experience more darkness, expressing the paradox we talked about of beatitude and suffering. But here's the thing. One does not need to be experiencing contemplation in the traditional Carmelite way to be able to live a moral life. For, the, for, for most everyone, even though, granted, we're all called to the heights of contemplation, Contemplation basically means prayer, that our moral life is connected to and must flow from our prayer life. The problem is most Catholics don't pray, and the ones who do pray, including sometimes seminarians, say prayers, but they don't actually pray. Now, I'm not going to say that vocal, vocal prayer is important. In fact, Teresa of Alva talks about it. You could say the Our Father and go to the heights of contemplation. But there, there's a difference between reciting prayers and, and actually praying from the heart, from the mind. And so many people are, my prayer life, I'm just reciting a bunch of prayers. It's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but can we go deeper to what the essence of prayer is? What prayer is at the heart? So what are, give me some definitions of prayer. Rosary is a form of prayer where you use meditation. You could vocal prayer, meditation, possibly contemplation. But I want, I want a concise definition of what prayer is. And of course, even the catechism gives 500 different, different definitions of prayer. I've heard it described as conversation with God. Conversation with God, which I like. But the truth is, when you say that, oh, conversation with God, most people say, Father, I have never heard God speak. Because we think of, I'm having a conversation with you. It's good, but eh, I don't know if that's the best definition. Focuses on words, too. And most people, you know, sometimes prayer can go beyond words. Give me another definition. Lifting your heart and mind to God. Yeah, I mean, like the, 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 the Elan de Cor of St. Therese, the, the, the surge of the heart. It's the lifting of the heart, which I like because it, it, it's, it's beyond words. But the problem is, in a certain sense, it's your responsibility. You're doing it. Prayer is putting your, the, the onus is put on the individual's shoulders to pray. Let me get one more definition so I can tell you you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. Not, not so much definition, but um, I heard how Mother Teresa said one time in an interview, like, but someone asked, what was prayer like for you? She said, I simply look at Jesus. Jesus looks at me. Mm-hmm. I like that. that that that's her quoting um, Jean Vianney, and and yeah. But still, it's that that simple gaze, and I think there's a lot of truth there, as we're going to see. That I kind of like the definition. So I, I want to give what I think is the best definition. So of course, someone else could give a better definition, but from my own experience, and I'm teaching this class, so I'm trying to get to the heart of what I think it is. But first, let me tell you what it is not. Prayer is not a technique, it is not a process, nor is there even really an art to pray. 
The apostles said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Good desire, but what were they looking for? You know, men, especially, we like to figure things out. I want to learn this technique. I want to master it. How to have the, the perfect golf stroke. How to have the best backhand. We want to problem solve. We want to understand. And it's normal. It's good. We, we, we have accomplished a lot of things. But we can often take that attitude of wanting to master a technique, of applying technology to a situation to control it, to prayer. So I'm going to learn prayer like I'm going to learn a musical instrument or to play chess. I'm going to get an instruction manual, study the method and mechanics, take time to practice, and oh, I'm going to be a contemplative saint. Well, it's like, you know, when I learned to play tennis or golf, Spend time reading, watching videos, want to be the best. And there's that technological mindset that we have where we, we're going to figure everything out. We're going to apply the scientific method and we're going to practice all the details and we're going to become the best of it. And, and, you know, a lot of the times, though, we do that. Is it because we really want to pray? No, it's because we want to, to master it. We want to dominate prayer. We want to control it. Often looking too much at results. I'm not really interested in relating to the Lord, but I want to see some results in this prayer. It's like my, I want to see my golf swing get better. I want to, I want to lose some weight by adapting to this exercise routine. And so what it does is it causes the, I'm not saying we shouldn't read books about prayer, but it causes a, a risk that prayer becomes more about us, our own growth, rather than encountering God. I want to be able to know that I prayed well. I want some standard to know that. And it gives the illusion that we did it all. I'm not saying that we just sit back. I'm not a quietist where God does everything. But it ultimately becomes that, that, that desire to control our spiritual life or even God's. God in our own life. We, we, look, I'm in the boat. Hey, I've got, I've got the oars. We're going where we want. No, the Lord wants you to let go of the oars. And go out into the ocean. He's going to take you where he wants to take you. But that is often very scary. So the person that I'm going to quote a lot in this is someone who, uh, an author who's still alive, actually, who many of you may never have heard of, but I think is great. Her name is Sister Ruth Burroughs. Remember Sister Ruth? Love Sister Ruth. And her book called The Essence of Prayer. Um, the first half is fantastic. The second half is great, too, but it really gets into Carmelite spirituality. So if you're not to uh, into Carmelite spirituality, read the first part. I'm going to give a lot of quotes from her. She says, we have to be willing to let go of our own criterion of what prayer is and what growth in the spirit might mean. There are all sorts of ways of praying, and there are books galore to direct us to them. Yet these at bottom keep us in the boat. The boat might rock a bit and feel uncomfortable at times, but at least with our method to guide us, we can manage and have some control. Real prayer lets go of the controls. More truly, lets go when they are wrenched away from us. And how often we experience this even to being tipped out into a squall. In a squall. Oh dear, most of us see this as an unfortunate occurrence that must never be repeated so that we refit our boat and improve our sailing skills to ensure that we have control once more. Look at it in the ways if you put it into the, the Carmelite tradition. You're going to get to a part where you can't meditate anymore where things become dry and you think I'm not doing any good. So I'm gonna go double down on meditation and I'm gonna double down on vocal prayer when the Lord's trying to say, I need you to let go of that and go into the darkness. But we're too scared. 
And so I'm not trying to say that vocal prayer is not good or that we can't have our own little techniques, but that at the heart is not what it is. It's allowing the Lord to take us in the direction he wants to take us. But this propensity for technique does not work with prayer. Sister Ruth Burroughs again. Prayer is not a technique, but a relationship. What does that also sound like? Living a moral life is not a technique. It's not a set of rules. It's a relationship at its heart. Sister Ruth again. The ultimate thing we must remember, prayer is not primarily something we are doing to God, something we are giving to God, but what God is doing for us. He is the primary actor. Our goal is to respond to his initiative. So keep that in mind. So how do we define prayer? And there's so many definitions. I like this one from Sister Ruth Burroughs. I like St. Therese too, but I like this one. She writes that in prayer, we must realize that what we have to do is allow ourselves to be loved and to be there for love to love us. Prayer is at the heart, allowing the Lord to love you. At its heart, being present, being open for God to love us, to see us, to know us, to delight in us. This is much more difficult than learning any technique because it takes tremendous honesty, vulnerability, letting go of control, receiving rather than giving, and so it ties us all back to our identity. It ties us back to the twofold commandment. It ties back to everything, allowing ourselves to be seen, known, and loved by God so we can live in our identity as sons, and that filial morality is going to flow from that. So if that's the case, the filial morality is going to flow from prayer where we are going to primarily experience, fundamentally experience God's love. As I said, we experience through other people, but we also have to experience through prayer. So Keeping that in mind, prayer is basically, at its heart, allowing ourselves to be loved by God. To be seen by him, for him to know us. And what I'm going to do is, in my, I, did, I did mostly spiritual direction for the past several years, and I'm not Padre Pio, I'm not holy. Um, and even with that, I think it wasn't direction that I gave so much. It's saying, these are the essentials of a prayer, go figure it out but trying to be that witness of love, of journeying and accompanying people on their spiritual journey. So I'm going to give you five phrases that I normally use in trying to describe the essence of prayer. And you're going to say, Father, this is not, you're not telling me how to pray. Well, that's exactly the point. But it's not, it's, it's, it's going to be the greater and. Prayer is more A than B. It doesn't mean that it's not B. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm saying it's more one thing than the other. And there are five things. I'm going to back it up with evidence. And I have experience to back it up too. Because that's the thing. is, it, 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 We need to learn to really pray and to let the Lord love us and change us in prayer. Then our moral life is going to start taking off. When I see people start doing this, their, their shame melts away. They go to therapy too. That's often very helpful. They learn better friendships. They can start discerning a vocation. They start spending time in adoration. Things begin to change because they're allowing the Lord to change them rather than to control the situation. So the first thing, prayer is more about being than about doing. Doesn't mean that you don't do, 
but it's more about being. We often like to be busy in prayer. We've got to have our novenas, our spiritual reading, our journaling. Ah, I've got to do all these things. We've got to fill up the holy, holy hour instead of just being present, rooted in that greater ability and ability to just sit and be quiet. But at root, as we've talked about before, it's often a hidden belief that we need to impress God. The more we do, the better we pray, the more novenas we say, the more he's going to love us. We're looking for results. We're looking to perform. Remember, the Father loves you for who you are, not for what you do, and he loves you still in spite of what you have done. Think of the the, the, the father looking at the sleeping child. The father doesn't say, this kid isn't being productive. He's useless. He's just sleeping. I need this kid to be, you know, in his sleep, making something, doing something. No. Again, I'm not saying you can sleep in, should be sleeping in prayer. We're going to get to that. But he doesn't love him any less. He loves him for who he is. Well, the Jacques Philippe, who also knows a lot about prayer, to pray is to spend time freely with God for the joy of being together. It is to love, because giving one's time means giving one's life. Love doesn't consist first of doing something for another, but in being present for him or her. Prayer teaches us to be present to God with a simple, loving attention. Present to you, Lord. I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm I'm being in your presence. And this is not mindless Zen meditation. We're going to get into that. It's being present. Number two, prayer is more about loving than about thinking. I'm saying it's not about thinking. You engage your intellect. Another way of phrasing it, it's more about the heart than the head. And we've already talked about love. It's more than just feelings. Meditation is important. It's valid, especially in Scripture. But if prayer is about a relationship, primarily about loving and being loved, you can't carry one on in your head. Go to your spouse. This is the, When y'all are priests, you know... Why don't you advise the men in your parish to their spouse, baby, I'm never around you, but I'm always thinking of you. I love you. I'm thinking of you all the time. No, you've got to show it. You have to be present. You have to show love. And besides, both men and women, it's so easy to get trapped in our heads where prayer becomes rumination or prayer becomes this intellectual exercise. Oh, I've got all these deep truths instead of encountering a person. And as a result, one of the big things that I see, Father, I, I got all these distractions in prayer. I'm a terrible prayer. What do we do about that? Well, part of it, you worry so much about distractions because you're worried about wandering thoughts, that you still think prayer is primarily some thinking intellectual exercise. It's like doing a, a Sudoku or something. No. Sister Ruth, again, distractions are my unfailing companions in prayer. But I have learned that prayer doesn't go on in the head, in the brain box, but in the secret heart that is choosing to pray and remain in prayer, no matter what it feels like or seem like to me. I'm going to give you an example to help you understand this. Imagine that you are in a hospital, you've, you've had surgery or something, you're sick, and you're kind of like in con- kind of in and between consciousness. They've given you some nice drugs. You're there, and it's at night. And a friend walks in, and this friend is not going to talk to you because you're kind of out. You're sleeping. And the friend is there, maybe holds your hand a little bit, said, hey, I'm here, but I'm going to let you just chill. I'm going to be here all night staying with you. And that friend is there, 
not only talking to you, but present. And then you're noticing he's maybe reading some, he's reading the new Wall Street Journal on the iPad. He's falling asleep a little bit. He te- few texts. Are you going to think, that person is a complete and total jerk? No, you're not. You're going to be so happy that he's present to you. Now, he may be distracted. I'm not saying that you should send texts or play Sudoku or whatever during prayer. But the point is, is you will recognize that the heart is present. They're there, whether or not they're distracted. Or like, that person should be paying attention to me the whole entire time. No, you're, you're pres- they, they are present, but in this, in this deeper way. And so we realize, the Lord realizes we're present there. We want to be with him. So he sees that. And so when we have distractions, just, uh, it's like, oh, Father, I have these distractions, how to get rid of them? I said, well, it's like saying, don't think about the pink elephant. The more you think about the pink elephant, the more you focus on it, the more you're going to think about it. Let the distractions just pass. Uh, they're clouds in the sky. Don't, don't worry about them. Just let them pass. Because you're going to get flustered and distracted. Jesus doesn't care. He is just happy to have you there. In the same way, if you're sick, you're happy to have your friend there. And the Lord wants you there. You don't have to be totally focused. It's not an exercise. Ruth Burroughs, again, we have to be there before God as we really are. Maybe upset, angry, worried, emotionally at sixes and sevens. We can even all over the place. This is the self I set in God's loving gaze. This is a little creature he loves and has to deal with. In this way, what are usually thought of as temptations are all turned into real prayer. I'm not saying we willfully go there and say, I'm going to think about uh, the Super Bowl this weekend. No, but maybe your mind will go there. But the, and but we start feeling, I'm not worthy to be in God's presence. No, he, he's happier there. I mean, parents know that their kids are little spazzes, and they can't sit still. But they, they still love their little spastic children. The Lord loves you even when you can't sit still, even when you're distracted, and he wants you to show up. Quit being so hard on yourself. Number three, prayer is more about silence than about talking. Pagans, they multiply their words. You don't need to. The Lord knows the desires of your heart. The spirit prays and and groanings. But of course, as we said, modern man struggles to be silent. Blaise Pascal, all human unhappiness comes from not knowing how to stay quietly in a room. We need to learn just to be quiet, but it's hard. Oh, 10 minutes of quiet, very, very difficult. Jacques Philippe, besides this prayer of asking, which is good, we should also faithfully practice silent prayer, which is essentially a prayer of receptivity. We take time for personal prayer, for adoration. This is absolutely indispensable, especially today. It's not time spent talking a lot, doing a lot, thinking a lot, but truly time given to welcoming God's presence and faith and love. The most deep and fruitful prayer is the prayer of pure receptivity. We've talked about that. Lord, I'm here, I'm silent. I'm creating the space for you to fill. I'm not, oh, we're not Buddhist meditation here. We're allowing the Lord to fill ourselves. We're making ourselves open and receptive. Sister Ruth continues this. On our side, prayer is simply being there, open, exposed, inviting God to do all he wants. Prayer is not our activity, our getting in touch with God, our coming to grips with or making ourselves desirable to God. We can do none of these things, nor do we need to. For God is there ready to do everything for us, loving us unconditionally. 
He's the one who's going to do it. But you've got to put yourself there so he can do it. And you may think he's not doing anything. Therese would go to prayer and she said, I never got any insights in prayer. But what happened is once I left prayer, boy, then I could see the results. I'd have the wisdom. I'd have the inspiration. Because I put myself to receive that then it could later happen outside of prayer. It's like two friends, two lovers. You could just be quiet together. How many of you ever had those like really uncomfortable periods of quiet where you're like hanging out with a friend and it's just quiet and then you just like, you just got to talk. I said, we're just going to be quiet. It's going to be good. No, no, you said you asked. No. Yeah, okay, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be uncomfortable. Sorry, I didn't see anybody's hand go up. I thought y'all were all too busy talking. <laughs> Number four. This is so important. Prayer is more about resting than about working. Our hyperproductive attitude seeps into our prayer. We've got to accomplish. So what happens is we begin perceiving prayer as work or a workout. We've got these goals to achieve in prayer. I have these certain standards. I want to see progress. And so what happens is, is whenever things get hectic, when all the other work gets hectic, what do we do with work? We push it off to the side for something else, for browsing, you know, TikTok for five hours. Prayer is primarily about resting in and with the Lord, about finding rest in him. My, my favorite passage in describing prayer is the apostles that go out, casting out demons, healing people. What does Jesus say to them? What does Jesus say? Go to us in prayer and fasting. No, that's not it. Come away, away and rest for a while. Rest. So if a retreat is a period of rest and prayer, why can't every time of prayer be like that? I can't. I, trust me. As a priest, you, if you're smart, you will do this. After a long day, you've been running around, you did your breviary at all kinds of crazy times during the day, you went to anoint people, Crazy people came to talk to you after Mass. You're going to go to the chapel, and you're going to stay there, and you're going to say, you know what, Jesus? I'm really just tired. I just need to be here. You're like the given tree. Jesus is like the given tree at the end. He's just a stump. You're just going to sit on him. So one of the things that I put on this section was a PDF of a book that I give all my spiritual directees. It's the best book of prayer I've ever read by another English Carmelite sister named Sister Mary McCormick called Upon This Mountain. It's 80 pages. My original copy got stolen by a sister that you're going to meet next week. We've got some Carmelites coming to hang out with us on Wednesday. You go to Sister Maria Goretti, say, Sister, I heard you stole Father's book. And then he went back on Amazon later and found it was worth 150 bucks. <laughs> so he saw me and said, I've read every book by Carmelites. I haven't seen that one. I said, oh, but I gave it to her because I am giving. <laughs> but I did make a PDF of it. You can get it on uh, Amazon Kindle for five bucks. Oh, it's so good. Because it gets to the heart of what prayer is. We don't know what prayer is. It gets to the heart of it. Listen to what she says. Prayer gradually becomes characterized by the ability to rest peacefully in a loving sense of God's presence without desiring anything else. Words and ideas give way to silent communion. The flame of love is burning steadily, and the most we need to do, if seems to die down, is to blow gently. The heart's movement of praise or gratitude from time to time is enough. This new knowledge of God, freely given, is not even disturbed by the restless wandering of our thoughts. And it's best just to let them wander. 
Trying to rein them in will only result in losing the nameless peace in which one can still rest at a level deeper than thought. It's like St. Therese sleeping, or like y'all sleeping in my class, or any class. The father delights in the sleeping child. The surgeon needs, she says, the patient to be asleep in order to work on him. So prayer is a time of Sabbath. It's a time of rest. It's not, an, it's not nap time, but it, it's something we should look forward to. But again, here's a society where we don't value the Sabbath. We don't value times of rest. We've got to be working, productive all the time. Oh, let's have that Sabbath. And your prayer time ought to be your re- a period of rest. Lord, I'm here. I'm going to let you work on me. It's like, it's like going to the massage therapist for your soul. And finally, and probably most importantly, prayer is more about receiving than about giving. Yes, we need to bring things to God in prayer, but a relationship is two-way. He wants to give, and we have to be open to receive his grace, his word, his love. As we've talked about, it's much easier for us to give than to receive, like Peter refusing to have his feet washed because we want to be in control. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So the same with prayer. We become uncomfortable when we have to receive. Christian prayer is nothing other than being present to God so that God can give to us. This is Sister Ruth. The only thing that matters is that we believe this and stay there regardless of how we feel or don't feel. I suggest the most profound expression we can give to faith is to set aside an inviolable time each day, no matter how short, when we see, when we each deliberately affirm God's absolute love for us here and stay there in blind, trusting faith, receiving it. I'm here, even though I don't feel anything. Trust me, you're not going to feel warm fuzzies all the time. Most of the time you probably won't, but you're here. I would even go further. I would. Prayer is more about receiving than giving, but even more about allowing ourselves to be received. The younger son allowing himself to be received by the father. The father just doesn't want to give himself to us. He wants to receive us. Allow ourselves to be embraced and brought into the father's house. This is the key to understanding prayer. The Lord wants to receive us, whether it be through his sight, through his embrace, through his grace. He waits there. That's what I tell people all the time. I can't, I can't find time for prayer. Even if you show up for five minutes at the chapel, Jesus is delighted to see you. I mean, think of your best friend or a person you really love that you don't get to see. You get to see it in your family. I'm so excited to see you. Let's talk about it. That's the way the Lord is every time he sees you. Someone had given me this interpretation of the, the, the woman from the gospel yesterday uh, with a flow of blood. Jesus knew who she was. She, I mean, he, in his divine intellect and even with his sort of divine uh, knowledge that came from the beatific vision, and his humanity, why did he want to see her? Because he had been waiting all eternity with his human eyes to perceive this woman whom he loved. All of eternity. I've been waiting to see you. So it wasn't a judgment he wanted to see her. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to see this woman. And he actually is able to. That's how the Lord is with all of us. He wants to see us. And if we experience that, then prayer changes. So, of course, I'm just like, those are great five points. Father, you didn't teach us how to pray. Well, at least you kind of understand at the heart what I think prayer is. And if we can lean into that, the Lord begins to change us. It's like taking vitamins. 
take your little vitamins and then you don't see much difference, but all of a sudden you have more energy. It's like working out. You're working out in the first few days or you're doing your cardio, you don't see much difference. But all of a sudden, I can run for five minutes. I can run for 10 minutes. I can run for an hour. You begin to build up that endurance. It still hurts sometimes, but it's how it goes. So it's from this contemplation, from this prayer, from allow the Lord to love us, work through us, change us, transform us, and our response to that, not just sitting there, uh, but our action flows from it. We mean our moral life should flow from our encounter with God in deep prayer. And as a result of our experiencing God's love for us, our actions will be marked by love for others. This is what happens to people who pray. We talked about holy people that are most, the more loving people. Father Jacques, the marvel of it is that as we learn to be there with God alone, we learn by that very fact to be there for other people. People with a long established prayer life possess a noticeable quality of attention, presence, listening, and availability, which people whose lives are given over to activity are often incapable of. Prayer gives rise to sensitivity, respect and attention, precious gifts for those we may encounter on our way. Think of the people that you know that pray the most and whatnot. They're usually like this. And they didn't read about it in a book. It comes from that encounter. Francis says that the best way we can judge our prayer is by whether or not we show mercy to each other. And, and I've got a pretty direct quote, actually kind of pretty harsh quote from Thomas Burton, who talks about this. Do you think that the way to sanctity is to lock yourself up with prayers and your books and the meditations that please and interest your mind, to protect yourself with many walls against people you consider stupid? Do you think the way to contemplation is found in the refusal of activities and works which are necessary for the good of others, but which happen to bore and distract you? Do you imagine that you will discover God by winding yourself up in a cocoon of spiritual and ascetic pleasures? Instead of renouncing all your tastes and desires and ambitions and satisfactions for the love of Christ, who will not even live within you if you cannot find him in other people, who will not even live within you if you cannot find him in other people. Now, these well, Father, what about like the contemplative nun who, who lives behind the walls? Granted, you can maybe do that in order to escape people or the monk. But trust me, after a few days, you get pretty much tired of praying for yourself. And you're constantly interceding for others. That's the people that are interceding for the world. And, and trust me, if you have any contemplative sisters in your diocese, they know everything going on in the diocese. Because people are constantly bringing them prayers. And, and they're, they're, they learn to intercede by taking up those prayers and offering them to the Lord. The same thing happens with you. Pray for yourself all you want. But prayer, the priest is going to allow the Lord to act on them. And he's going to intercede by bringing the prayers, the cares of the people that have been given to him, uh, to him, the friends that you have, the people that are closest to you. Jesus prayed for his apostles the most because they were the closest to him and his mother. So it's going to flow over. So if we see that we're praying, and granted, we're going to be struggle to be patient and kind and nice, and it could take, it's going to take your whole life, as we'll see, for this to, to change. It's a, it's a lifelong journey. We're journeying together, being patient with each other. But that, that temptation that Francis is pretty insistent on, it's not that individual prayer or liturgy or church stuff is not good, but you can use your religion as a wall to shut yourself off from other people. You can. And 
that's not what parish priests do. You have to raise the bastions. You need your own time for, for your own interest and rest and recuperation, but there needs to be a, an availability there, a, a vulnerability. And so, of course, this brings us back to the primacy of love, relationship, merciful love in the moral life. The source of that love is charity, it was God. We draw from that source, from our contemplative prayer, from our receiving his love from others who fulfill that command, and we're changed. And through that, we become holy as God is holy, for God is love. And so if we let him love us in prayer, we become more loving, we become holier, and we're able to shine that through and communicate it to other people. So I know that sounds all mystical and nice. Um, there are so many great books on prayer, and there are different styles and whatnot. And we have to kind of, just like a relationship, every person's relationship is going to be different. Everyone's prayer style is going to be different. Uh, and there are going to be struggles, and there's going to be darkness and trials. Well, that's good you're going to study in your spiritual theology. But, but is, is your primary responsibility as priest is going to pray? not primarily for your own sanctity, but for your people, uh, that intercessory prayer, particularly those who are given to you. Yeah, you're going to pray for the whole world. That's the bravery. Go do that. But, but your parishioners and your friends and the people who encounter you, that's, that's where your real intercession is going to be because you are going to pray for them in a particular way. You're going to be in the middle of them. You're going to be their shepherd. You're going to care about their joys and their sufferings. If you don't, we got a problem. It's a serious, serious problem. So there, it does. It doesn't. You're in the middle of them. You're not them, but you're a lot more like them than you are something else. Uh, the shepherd, Francis was talking about the shepherd is not above or on the side. He is in front guiding the sheep. He is in the middle fixing them. He's in the back protecting them. As he's guiding, he's guiding the flock. And, and your biggest duty is going to be prayer. Doesn't mean I'm just I'm praying for five hours a day and I can't go. No, you're going to go out and minister to people and, and do all that, but you're going to be bringing their their needs as that mediator in the mass in your personal prayer to the Lord. And you're going to help their moral lives. It's awesome. Um, so, any questions about this spiritual theology? It all ties together. No, that is from Sister Ruth Burroughs. Yeah, uh, prayer is not a technique, but a relationship. Is that it? Yeah. Uh, the ultimate thing we must remember, prayer is not primarily something we are doing to God, something we are giving to God, but what God is doing for us. Is that it? Well, when I post the notes, you can read them and see it. Yeah. One second. <laughs>